Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Medisodes. This week, we're going to be discussing the impact that life in a city has on a person's health. City life is a very distinct style of life, and with it come several factors that can potentially impact our health negatively. Overall, studies have found that health outcomes are much more favourable in rural areas than urban areas, and the most recent statistics show that life expectancy is higher in those who live in rural areas. But what is the reason behind this distinction? On Medisodes, we have previously discussed the challenges of delivering healthcare to rural areas. So why is it that there is a general trend of better health in rural areas compared to the cities? So, there are several factors to this issue. To start off with, I'll talk about the impact of air pollution. By their very nature, cities have more polluted air. They are more densely populated and people travel more by vehicles as opposed to walking or cycling, and people commute more often. The combination of this built-up nature, dense population and other factors means that fuel consumption per head in cities is vastly greater than those in rural areas. This, in turn, leads to more polluted air in cities. Air pollution has a significant effect on public health, and poor air quality is important and is currently the largest environmental risk to public health in the UK. It was estimated in 2010 that the cost of health impacts of air pollution was likely to exceed £15 billion. Currently, long-term exposure to man-made air pollution in the UK has an annual effect equivalent to 28,000 to 36,000 deaths. Air pollutants are emitted from a range of both man-made and natural sources. Many everyday activities such as transport, industrial processes, energy generation and domestic heating lead to a detrimental effect on air quality. As I've mentioned before, these activities are much more dense and frequent in urban areas. Air pollution is a complex mix of particles and gases of both natural and human origin. Particulate matter, or PM, and nitrogen oxides are two of the main components of urban pollution, and I'll discuss these in more detail. Currently, there is no evidence to suggest a safe level of exposure to these particles, and so it's important to reduce air pollution as much as possible. Particulate matter, or PM, is a general term used to describe a complex mixture of solid and liquid particles varying in size and shape, and they may be emitted directly or formed in the atmosphere through various further chemical reactions. This particulate matter can be sorted into categories of varying sizes, and the size of these particles is linked to their potential for causing health problems. Small particles, though smaller than 10 micrometers in diameter, pose the greatest risk to health because of their ability to get deep into the lungs and even potentially the bloodstream, which can have catastrophic effects on health. Numerous studies have linked particulate matter exposure to premature death and cardiovascular disease, non-fatal heart attacks, aggravated asthma and decreased lung function. Particulate matter consists of a wide variety of different substances and includes residue from impurities of fuel and combustion, such as soot. The particulate matter is much more harmful in some cities than in others, based on what is the main cause of the particulate matter in the first place. For example, the particulate matter content of a city such as London is greatly different than the particulate matter of a more industrial city like Shanghai in China. Oxides of nitrogen are gases that are produced in combustion. Rather than being a direct part of the combustion reaction, 
They are formed from nitrogen gas in the air reacting with oxygen, due to the heat from combustion. It's estimated that 80% of nitrous oxide emissions in areas where composition exceeds limit is from transport, and specifically from light-duty diesel vehicles. Nitrogen dioxide causes a range of harmful effects that are similar to that of particulate matter, including an increased inflammation of the airways, worsened coughing and wheezing, and reduced lung function. So there's a lot more to air pollution than these two factors. These are some of the most frequent and most researched factors that we have knowledge of. And indeed, it's important that we reduce air pollution. And people talk about climate change and the future of the Earth. What may not be as emphasised is the health of our population today. Right now, people are dying in the UK due to air pollution. It's important that we reduce our air pollution so that we can stop this problem from getting worse. And currently, air pollution is one of the most significant impacts that living in a city has compared to living in rural areas. Where the population is less dense, vehicles and industries are less common, and so pollution is a lot, lot less. As I've mentioned before, there are several different factors behind the gap between rural and urban areas in terms of people's health. And mental health is one of the often overlooked sections of health that is different in cities and rural areas. And to discuss this, I'll hand over to Anupam. More than half of the global population currently lives in cities, and as more and more people head into urban areas, there will be increased population density, traffic noise, pollution. However, there is also better access to healthcare and other commodities. This trend that we're seeing across the world has given rise to a lot of the mental health crises we see across the world, especially in advanced countries, but also in a lot of emerging and developing countries. Studies have shown that the risk for serious mental illness is generally higher in cities compared to rural areas. And epidemiological studies have associated growing up and living in cities with a considerably higher risk for mental health disorders, such as schizophrenia. However, correlation is not causation, and living in poverty is also a contributing factor and results in impairments caused by poor mental health. Other factors include social isolation and discrimination, as well as general neighbourhood poverty contributing to mental health burdens. The specific risk level for some major mental health illnesses, such as anxiety, psychotic disorders, mood disorders or addictive disorders, is generally much higher in cities. Studies on anxiety disorders, for example, including post-traumatic stress disorder, distress, anger and paranoia, found far higher rates in urban areas versus rural areas when tested across several Latin American and Asian countries. The same was true for psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia in China and in large urban areas in Germany. Further epidemiological studies confirmed that the risk for schizophrenia was higher in people who grew up in cities versus rural areas, thereby exhibiting a dose-response relationship. The more time spent in an urban environment as a child, the higher the risk for schizophrenia as an adult. Other social risk factors for mental health in cities include concentrations of low socioeconomic status, SES, such as education levels and income, low social capital or social support, and social segregation, such as perceived minority status and membership of a specific ethnic group. Of course, all of this comes from the way a lot of our cities in the world are designed currently. Cities are divided up across the world into boroughs, 
councils, arrondissements, depending on the many cities. And this can mean that certain areas of the city are much more deprived than others, leading to increase in mental health disorders in certain parts of the city. There are other reasons why people in cities may have increased mental health problems, such as environmental factors. The urban setting can affect people in two key ways, increasing stimuli and stripping away of protective factors. The first one, increasing stimuli, leads to overload. People who live in the city experience increased stimulus levels, density, crowding, noise, sights, smells, disarray, pollution, all of this overloads the person's senses and also increases the mental health strain on them. Every part of an urban environment is deliberately designed to assert meanings and messages, which can trigger action and thought on a latent awareness level of awareness and become more potent as an inability to cope sets in. Meanwhile, the erosion of protective factors is also significant. People who live in the city may find that they have less access to the factors that are protective for good mental health than those in rural areas. For example, they may have diminished access to nature, few opportunities to integrate exercise as part of their daily routine, and reduced leisure time as increased time is spent at work and commuting. People may find themselves feeling unsafe, having less privacy and even less sleep due to factors like crowding, light, noise and stress. Rural to urban migration also sees people leaving behind strong social networks of friends and family, and it takes time to develop similarly supportive social capital in the city. This may be particularly the case as urban dwellers are reluctant to engage in social interactions so that they avoid overstimulation, as we discussed earlier. All in all, this leads to a very stark difference in mental health across urban and rural areas. But that is not the only steep difference between the two. Now on to Shrey, who's going to talk about how their diets vary. So as we know from our previous episodes on obesity and heart disease, diet plays a crucial role in a person's well-being and overall health. And this is the case as well in contrasting urban and rural, urban and rural food. So if we look at urban to sorry if we look at rural to urban migration it generally leads to more processed food particularly meat and dairy and although food availability in the city in cities um, is much higher and there's greater diversity of food available it's often found that the people in poorer areas of the city are more deprived actually have worse diets because of this that they cannot access food and this problem is especially due for those that are underprivileged and in many LIDCs and EDCs in the uh, the so-called urban poor 70% of household income goes towards food and this makes them vulnerable to price fluctuations so if say the harvest was not as good one year and food prices rose steeply, then they wouldn't be able to afford much food at all, and they'd just go hungry. And especially in EDCs and LIDC, there's not the support and welfare state that maybe is there in more developed nations. And what we see when we look at rural to urban migration is that there's a shift away from the staples that people have eaten for centuries, and there's a move towards 
sugary and conveniently packaged foods. And this can be seen in both advanced countries and developing countries, as people have less time to cook, less time to buy food, and they need they prioritize quickness and efficiency over the quality of their food. People in urban areas also are more likely to eat out, and there's more street food and more going to restaurants in urban areas because there's just more availability of them. And this is a risk factor, especially for higher fat and lower micronutrient consumption. And this is obviously detrimental to their health and causes stuff like obesity and heart disease, as we've covered before. And this can be seen in Kenya, Ghana and Senegal, where the urban obesity level is nearly twice that of rural obesity. And many people in urban areas are unaware of how their food is produced. For example, there was a survey of British children who thought that sardines grow in a tin. And this is obviously detrimental in trying to see where quality food is and making sure that the food we're getting is of a good standard and has nutrients that we need. Another key factor is where we're buying food from. In urban areas, we're more more than likely to shop at supermarkets, whether they be big mega stores or even just small local ones. And supermarkets have huge effect on diet because they control the supply chain of food from farmer to store. And that means that they can buy in large volumes at low prices. And supermarkets know that they can sell calorie dense foods like chocolates, sweets, stuff like that, or like snacks really cheaply and for high profit. And this distorts diets in urban areas because people are more drawn to these high calorie foods that are very bad for you if eaten in excess. In many countries now, supermarkets are slightly regulated in how what they can sell and where they can put certain items. But still, if you go to a supermarket and you see a chocolate bar for two on two for one offer, are you going to get that or are you going to get um, some fruit that's extremely expensive? And especially those who perhaps can't afford food. These calorie-dense foods are their only option in order to maximise calories for the cost. However, we also find that there's food deserts found throughout cities where there's no access to healthy or nutritious food. And these are the places of worse diet and worse health because food is an intrinsic part of staying healthy. And without access to these good food, we can't be productive and it causes a spiral down into less and less food and worse and worse conditions. Especially in developing countries, there's also the informal market where wholesalers buy directly from farmers. But normally these will not be through the same health checks as from the supermarket, which means that it can be very dangerous to eat some of these foods. Another factor to consider is physical activity. A study by the CDC in 2019 of 940 adolescents in the United States 
between 2014 and 2017, found that there were people in rural areas spent an average of eight extra minutes per day doing physical activity and 22 minutes less sedentary. And we know from our study of obesity that being sedentary for long times is very bad for you and that we should have physical and physical activity is very good in making sure that you stay healthy. We also find that money is a key factor within this as well in the fact that if you have more money, you can afford a better diet. And although this is counterintuitive, as you with more money you expect to be able to afford more calories, it's actually because fruits and vegetables are so expensive compared to the processed manufactured foods that can be available in supermarkets that richer people are definitely more healthy regardless of whether you're in an urban setting or a rural setting. So I hope you can see that diet is an important part of staying healthy and how it differs between urban and rural areas. Now on to Sri to see how access to healthcare is different between urban and rural areas. Now let's look at how the existence of cities has affected the quality and accessibility of healthcare. First, let us look at how the accessibility of healthcare varies between cities and urban areas. We already looked at one aspect of healthcare accessibility in Minnesota episode 27, the accessibility of air ambulances varied between rural and urban areas. Cities usually tend to have a higher population density than rural areas, and regions with a high population density have their own air ambulances, such as London. This example of healthcare accessibility covers only one part of emergency care. Looking at the distribution of healthcare accessibility worldwide, the International Labour Organization, or the ILO, report shows that 56% of people living in rural areas worldwide do not have access to essential healthcare services, more than double the figure in urban areas where 22% are not covered. The highest percentage of people in rural areas who are not covered covered by essential healthcare services is the continent of Africa, where it amounts to 83%. However, the largest differences in access of healthcare between cities and urban areas exists in Asia. For example, in Indonesia, the percentage of people that are not covered is twice as high in rural areas as in urban areas. Decades of underinvestment in healthcare... Okay, let me start again. Decades of underinvestment in health interrupted efforts to develop national health systems and ultimately resulted in the neglect of health in rural areas. One of the key reasons for the difference in healthcare accessibility between rural and urban areas is the lack of health workers in rural areas. The International Labour Organization study further finds that even if access to healthcare is guaranteed by law, people in rural areas remain excluded from healthcare because such laws are not enforced where they live. The situation is worsened by the lack of health workers in the world's rural areas. Although half of the world's population lives in them, only 23% of the global health workforce deployed to rural areas. The ILO estimates that 7 million out of the total 10.3 million healthcare workers who are lacking globally are needed in these areas. Africa and Latin America are the two regions where this problem is most acute. In Nigeria, for example, more than 82% of the rural population is excluded from healthcare services, 
due to the insufficient numbers of health workers compared to 37% in urban areas. Underfunding is closely linked to the unavailability of services in rural areas. Another reason for the inequality and accessibility to healthcare between rural and urban areas is the out-of-pocket payments. Out-of-pocket payments are the payments of money that may or may not be later reimbursed from a third-party source. High out-of-pocket payments in rural areas mean that many financially disadvantaged people in living in rural areas may not be able to access healthcare due to them not being able to afford the high out-of-pocket payments. To sum up the disparity in access to healthcare, the healthcare policy coordinator of the International Labour Organization said that the lack of legal cover, insufficient number of healthcare workers, inadequate funding and high out-of-pocket payments have created life-threatening inequalities in many countries. Now looking at the disparity in quality of healthcare worldwide, the rural population is consistently less well off than the urban population with respect to health. Differences between the two populations are not always substantial. The rural population is more likely to engage in risky health-related behaviours and to experience higher rates of chronic conditions and activity limitations. Rural residents are also more likely to be uninsured for longer periods of time and are less likely than urban residents to receive some types of healthcare, including tests for various chronic conditions, reducing the, type, the quality of care that they are provided with. However, these are the exceptional cases that occur in small pockets of deprivation. Overall, healthcare outcomes are more favourable in rural areas than urban areas. The most recent statistics show that life expectancy is higher, infant mortality rate lower, and potential years of life lost from common causes of premature deaths are lower in rural areas than in urban areas. But for a number of years, there has been a growing realisation by national and local government that broad brush indicators measuring the large positive health, wealth and well-being of rural communities can mask small pockets of significant deprivation and poor health outcomes. So hopefully this has given you an insight into the differences in healthcare accessibility and quality on a global scale. Now back to Adrian. So from all of this, we can tell that there is a clear disparity in the health between urban areas and rural areas in all countries, including the UK. And there are several reasons for this, which we have discussed in today's episode. I hope you are better informed of this disparity and going forward, it, is, it should be one of the priorities of the government to ensure that there is equality in health and that these concerns are addressed. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe and tune in next week for another episode of Medisodes.